Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Yay Can Do. I'm your host for today, Paula Thomas, and today is a discussion with another favorite teacher that I've listened to and learned from in my years of self-reflection and study. Michael Neal is an internationally renowned teacher, author, broadcaster and speaker who has authored six best-selling books, including Creating the Impossible, The Inside Out Revolution, The Space Within, and Supercoach. In 2017, I attended his Living a Guided Life workshop, and I had some wonderful new and unexpected opportunities show up in my life immediately afterwards. So I'm thrilled to be now able to share his work and his ideas with all of you listening to Yay Can Do. In today's discussion, Michael shares his own journey from a seriously troubled mindset in his teenage years and even through to adulthood, which led him on his own personal development journey and now his incredible coaching career. His focus is living from the inside out as a way to experience more aliveness, peace and productivity, teaching how to live an utterly fearless life, an idea that truly inspires me. Michael has spent now more than three decades as a coach with a global client base and tens of thousands of loyal customers every year through his live training, his online courses and his self-study programs. He has been consistently ranked alongside Jack Canfield, Tony Robbins and other legends in the field as one of the top 30 coaching thought leaders in the world. And I love listening to his wisdom. So I really hope you enjoy listening to our conversation today. So Michael Neal joining me today from Los Angeles. Welcome to Yay Can Do. Thank you very much. It's a joy to have you. I've done some uh, fantastic work with you in the past, although four and a half years ago now, we were just reflecting. So I think I have a a whole load of questions that will probably take us in all sorts of different directions. But to start, I suppose, Michael, I love to understand if you just had one favorite, I suppose, approach or tool or framework or methodology that you believe would help people live their best life, what would you say to people listening in terms of the simplest advice you could offer? Can I do two? Ooh. I know it's presumptuous right at the beginning. (laughs) Go for it, Michael. Pushing the boundaries. I love it. Go for it. We are culturally obsessed with what isn't. We are Mm -hmm. culturally obsessed with, yeah, but what if this happens? And yeah, then if this happens, this happens. And oh, that happened. And if I had done that, then that would have happened. And a huge amount of our life energy disappears into the void of what isn't. Mm -hmm. And it makes us undervalue, underappreciate, and underuse what is. Okay. So if my one of two. Yeah. Yeah. you know, life advice. So you can stop listening in a minute, but (laughs) it it, it would be devote more of your time and attention to what is and less to what isn't. And you'll find that life instantly gets richer. You become more productive and effective. And it's often kind of shocking Mm. the depth of what is when you're not distracted by what isn't. Okay. That would be one. 
Okay. The other, and the one that I've written books about and that people who know me probably associate me with is what I call the inside out understanding, which is that we're living in the feeling of our thinking, not the feeling of the world, not the feeling of our circumstances, not the feeling of other people, even if we're empathic, even if we are sensitive. Mm. We are only and always living in the experience of a thought created reality. Now, that does not mean that if you hit me in the head with a shovel, Mm. I will not go, ow. (laughs) What it means is that 100% of my experience of that event, from the moment it happens throughout the rest of time, at least the amount of time I've got, Mm. will be my own thinking experienced in my body. Mm. And the implications of that are ridiculous ridiculously huge. Yeah. Yes, I do feel that it's the thinking that causes the problems, Michael. Am I right? Well, it is, but it's also often the thinking that creates amazing things in the world. So thought isn't the problem. The innocent misuse of the gift of thought is the problem. Okay. So shovels aren't problematic unless you use them to... Mm. Pick your nose. I mean, like it, 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 it's, it's the wrong tool for the job. And we have inadvertently learned to use thought to abuse ourselves and others. Yeah. So we use thought either as a tool or a weapon. And you know which way you're using it because of how you feel. Mm. And if you feel out of sorts, freaked out, stressed, pressured, scared, angry, you're using thought against yourself totally innocently. Yeah. Totally, generally, habitually, and unconsciously. Mm-hmm. And if you're in sort of what we often think of as not better, but higher states of being, mm-hmm. peace, mm. uh, quiet, stillness, expansiveness, yeah. presence, that's the proper use of the gift of Yes. And my sense of you, Michael, has always been that you seem to have the most effortless experience of living. And I know from what you've taught me already that that wasn't always the case. Is that true for you now? Do you feel that you live an effortless life? I would probably need to caveat that by an (laughs) 80 to 85 percent effortless life. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, there are moments where you would come across me where you would go, oh, geez, no. But, but actually, yes, on yeah. the whole, yeah, um, I, I do experience life in flow much of the time. And, that, and as you say, that certainly was not my experience as a suicidally depressed teenager. Will you and tell even, into my, even into my 30s, it was still problematic. I was just better at dealing with it. Will you give us the story, Michael, of how you got from there to here? Because, you know, again, I suppose you you teach and talk and practice very different ideas than I've seen. And I know you're a Hay House author. You're a best-selling author. I believe you're one of the top 30 coaching thought leaders in the world alongside Jack Canfield and Tony Robbins. So you do have some extraordinary ideas 
but I do find them very different and in a wonderful way, like absolutely wonderful. Like you mentioned Sid Banks, you mentioned this idea. I remember on the course that you you gave here in Dubai um, about three principles. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I've never heard of any principles. So, so it is very different material. And you've been through, I know, NLP as a, as a practitioner. And as you said, from a very different place. So maybe would you just explain your journey from, I suppose, as a human being and becoming a coach to where you are? Yeah. now? Well, I, I, I'll try and do a version that doesn't take 50 plus years. Because um, <laughs> I mean, I could go through. There is a lot detail. there. Yeah. So, I was born. Um, but <laughs> the, 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 so uh, by all accounts, I was a happy kid. I mean, I don't really remember that. But, you know, up until of, you know, six or seven, I think I was fine. Um, but I you know, I remember being told once, uh, I think, I think, uh, the, uh, it was a, a custodian at the school, like the janitor mm. k- k- saw me and I, I must've been like 10 years old or something. And I probably was very scrunchy faced. Like I probably had a tight face cause I was thinking all the time. Yeah. And, 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 and he said, Oh, you don't want to do that, son. And, oh. I, and I was like, I had no idea what he was thinking about, what he was talking about, yes. but he was right. Yeah. That turned into anxiety that turned into depression that turned into suicidal ideation and that turned into a a very messy i mean not horrific in the sense that you know there was rough with the smooth and smooth with the rough but it it was a tough time and it it kind of peaked and and anyone who who's seen my my tedx talk why aren't we ostomer knows this story Mm. in a in a bizarre experience at the age of 19 where it felt like I was being sucked out a fourth story window Mm. and I phoned the suicide hotline and got a busy signal. Oh my God. And I've, I have (laughs) to this day, I swear that busy signal saved my life because I thought it was fun. It just was the funniest thing I could imagine. Like I remember sitting there going, what, you're going to strike me with lightning now? What's next? Yeah. yeah. That's ridiculous, (laughs) really. (laughs) But, but, But what was great about it is it was the first time I saw thought. It was the first time I realized that I didn't actually want to die, even though I thought about killing myself all day long. Because when I could have died, because honestly, I don't know how to explain it, the delusion, but I was being pulled out that window. I mean, I was physically holding onto the wall to not go out the window. Mm. The next day, having sort of popped out of it, I realized, oh, just because there's a thought in my head doesn't mean it's my thought. It doesn't mean it's true. It mm. just means there's a thought in my head. And it, it was the beginning of what has become my understanding of life and humans, but I didn't connect the dots for many years. So I went from that experience into personal development, personal growth, spiritual development, spiritual growth, basically to try and stay alive longer. I mean, it wasn't heroic. It wasn't noble. I didn't want to yeah. help people. I mean, maybe I did want to help people, but that's not why I was doing it. Yeah. I, I just wanted to be less miserable. Wow. And ultimately that led me to NLP, mm-hmm. which was the first set of tools that I had ever come across that made me feel not a victim of my thinking. 
not a victim of my own biology and whatever it was, psychology, whatever it was that was going on with me. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting in retrospect is what actually started me down that track. I now have a completely different understanding of. So I was reading a Tony Robbins book, mm. um, Unlimited Power. Yeah. And he chapter two or three, he said, now reach out. If you're troubled by the voices in your head, why, yes, I am, (laughs) you you know, reach up to the volume knob and turn it down. And I'm like, there's a volume knob. And I'm, I literally lifted my hand and turned an imaginary knob. And I experienced this depth of quiet. What I now know is the state of meditation is the state of pure consciousness is the state of Samadhi is all this wonderful stuff. But at the time I was just like, Oh my God, this is nice. Yeah. And had the next line in the book been, if you're experiencing this kind of profound inner quiet, that's your true nature. My life would have gone directly to where I am now. Mm. The next line in the book was, if you think that's great, I've got a thousand other techniques to share with you. So I spent the next 18 years practicing, learning, and mastering the thousands of other techniques and developing a bunch more of my own and teaching them. And I became a certified master trainer and worked with Richard Bandler, who founded the field. And it did help. Yeah. My life was better. I was, by my own self-definition, a high-functioning depressive. Wow. It was like, isn't it amazing that that somebody who is as depressive as I am can have a happy marriage and have great kids and can be successful in the world? But at the same time, I also always knew I was about two weeks away from being dead. Like it, 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 it didn't scare me as much as that sounds scary when I hear myself say it right now. Yeah. Because I kind of knew I would never go two weeks without doing something. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I created a set of techniques, my favorite techniques that I called my behavioral Prozac. Okay. And, and I knew as long as I did at least some of these things every day, I'd be fine. Yeah. But I was always just out ahead of the beast. Wow. And then one day I read this book. It was called the relationship handbook by a guy who's now a dear friend, uh, Dr. George Pransky. And I, it was surprising that I read it because I'm not a relationship book guy. And I generally find them like most I've met part of my being who I am is I've met a lot of the people who write the books yeah. and I wouldn't want most of their relationships. So I, okay. I, quite, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I considered myself a, a, a slightly jaded seeker. Okay. I was still a seeker. But I was pretty suspicious and cynical about everything. Okay, it's actually a good, healthy, healthy approach. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, but I read the book and I was surprised. It wasn't what I expected, and it affected me in a way I couldn't really put words to. And so I I, I wanted to learn more about this guy and his approach and other people. And I found out his mentor was this guy I mentioned earlier, an enlightened Scottish welder named mm. Sid Banks, and. <laughs> And I couldn't, they kept saying, there's no technique. There's nothing to do. It's just, there's something to see. And I was like, oh, I haven't paid them enough to get the technique. (laughs) Yes. Right. Like again, slightly jaded. But but I was like, fair enough. Hell, okay. How much money do you want? Yeah. And they were like, no, no, no. 
Oh, just come up and spend some time with us. And I, I, I finally did. And, um, you know, my wife was like, is it a cult? And I'm like, I don't think so. And it wasn't, <laughs> but, but, it, but it, it kind of felt a little like that to me. Cause I'd not come across, like you said, yes. I'd not come across anything like this before. It yeah. wasn't like the stuff I'd seen. It wasn't like the psychological stuff I'd seen. Yeah. It was quite low key. But while I was up there, I watched for the first time a Sid Banks video. It was my homework, like they gave it to me. And, and honestly, I didn't want to. Slightly Jaded Seeker. I was on my second beer yeah. uh, in the hotel room. <laughs> I was, there was a baseball game that was on and I really wanted to watch the game, but I had said that I would watch this video before the next one. And so I'm like, all right, I'll put the video on. So you, I, it wasn't like I was in this really profound space to watch it in. Like okay. I literally trying to, you know, time my beer with it. Like it was, <laughs> Make it less but, painful. <laughs> but at a certain point, like 15 minutes in, Sid, who was the speaker, said, every human being is sitting in the middle of mental health. They just don't know it. And it was, I, I, in a way, I wish it had been filmed because I did the classic spit take, like the beer came out of my nose. <laughs> I was laughing like a madman for 10 minutes. Oh my God. Because I saw that it was true. I had never been depressed, but I really thought I had. I really believed all that thinking. It really had seemed real to me. Like it was who I was, not like the suicide thought, mm. just thinking that was passing through my head. And I grabbed it and went, mine. In my head, it must be my thinking. Mm. It must be me. And it was so profound and hopeful and disturbing. Because, of course, I had actually just published my second book with Hay House, which was all about behavioral Prozac. <laughs> okay. But, so, so I was like, oh, my God, everything I have been doing and teaching has been based on a faulty premise. That, that we're broken, but it's okay. We can kind of fix ourselves. Yeah. That we're damaged, but it's okay because we can work with that. It was a sort of an empowered victim. Mm. And I just saw clear as day, unmistakably, swear on a stack of Bibles, you couldn't have talked me out of it with the best lawyers in the world. I was absolutely okay. And so is everybody else. But boy, can we get lost and caught up in thought mm. for years and it can affect our biology and it affects our psychology and it makes the world feel like a very unfriendly place. And from that moment forward, everything in my life and work has been dedicated to seeing more about this for myself mm. and sharing more about it with the world. Absolutely. And we'll make sure everybody gets access to that, Michael. I know you have some incredible tools and courses on your website. Um, free, you don't have to <laughs> get into that how much money do you want situation. But I do love that. And I remember when you shared that story before, Michael, you articulated it in a beautiful way. And again, I suppose it helped me identify the difference in that profound possibility, let's say. And you described that there was, I think you called it the way of the warrior. 
which sounds like the work you had been doing with NLP that I do with all of the tools and techniques that I use. But then you described that there's another way, which you described as the path of love and surrender. And I distinctly remember you saying repeatedly during this week-long course, and again, I don't always remember verbatim what people say, but it was its utter simplicity. You just kept saying, do less, do less, don't meditate. And I think, in fact, I think the whole course went a bit like, <laughs> okay, throw him out now. Like he's totally, like nobody says don't meditate. Like that's- Yeah, but I fed you guys really well in Dubai. <laughs> you sure did. But it was utterly uh, a mind wreck. And that's my, my polite version of using it, Michael. <laughs> But this idea of doing less, I think, is quite extraordinary because, again, I don't hear people talking about it. The one possible one I did want to ask you to see if it's similar, actually, Michael, because it's the only possible one that may have some similarity to the work of Sid Banks and these three principles that I know you now teach. And it's the idea of the power of now by Eckhart Tolle. Is that a similar principle in terms of the presenteeism and the power of what is, what there, you referred there, to earlier. To my mind, Eckhart Tolle points to the same thing that okay. Sid to. The, the fundamental difference, I would say, beyond, you know, they're different people, so they have a different language yeah. and yeah. But they both have a similar experience, is that within this presentation, so we've mentioned a few times these principles and just very quickly, it's yeah. I know when I first heard about principles, I was like, well, what are they? Yes. And, and, and they're not uh, as above, so below, like hermetic principles. They're, they're actually just three fundamental elements that make up reality. Okay. And so, you know, the way Sid would express them was divine mind, divine consciousness, divine thought. Um, sometimes he would be more secular and say universal mind, universal mm. consciousness, universal mm. thought. Mm-hmm. But he was saying, or or even nowadays, I tend to go capital M mind, capital C consciousness, capital T thought. And it's just to distinguish them as pre-existing forces in the universe, as opposed to what you do with them. So it's okay. not about your consciousness and your thinking and your mind. Mm. It is th- this, there is an intelligence and energy pre-existing in the world we are born into. Yeah. It's what makes planets spin and trees grow. And it, it, it's it's just the nature of things. And that's what Sid described as a universal mind. Mm-hmm. There is this incredible creative capacity that Sid talked about as divine thought or capital T thought, mm-hmm. which again, we use mostly completely accidentally and without any awareness at all, mm-hmm. but we can learn not to control it because you can't control it, but mm. we can learn to work with it. Mm. We can see it for what it is, a very helpful tool. There's a line, and this isn't an exact quote of Sid Banks. And he, he said, thought is not reality, but it is via thought that reality is created. So I think of thought as the Play-Doh of the universe. Ooh. Make stuff with it. We make a whole world with it and then live inside that world. Yeah. But because it's made of thought, even though it looks solid, because it's made of Play-Doh, it can change in an instant. It can go back to just the raw material and something new can be created. And we can, Sid would say all the time, 
you're never more than one thought away from a whole new way of being in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think my favorite idea that I've seen as well, you're talking about, Michael, is this idea of living fearlessly. And I wanted to actually mention to you because, you know, you talked about, you know, there I, I, is. I'm just, I'm, I, this is my old radio head coming in. Go on. I know I didn't, I, I didn't talk about consciousness and anyone who's tracking at home is going, wait, there were only two. Sorry, you're right. No, 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 no. But I, I just, I, you know, slightly jaded seeker here. Right? <laughs> it's like, what, he's only going to tell us two? We got to pay for the third one, right? No, it's consciousness with a capital C. That's what Eckhart Tolle talks about as true nature. It's what Sid talks about as true nature. It's what about all enlightened teachers talk about. Okay. It's that. It is yeah. awareness. It is not what we are aware of. Mm-hmm. It is awareness itself. I liken it a lot of times to a mirror. Okay. The mirror will simply reflect whatever is inside it. It is not choosing. It is not judging. And it is unaffected by what is in front of it. Hitler's mirror is no more or less enlightened than Mother Teresa's mirror. Mm. Consciousness is just a pure presence and it is our true nature. It is, that's why we can say, there's nothing wrong with you. There never was because you are the mirror, not what was being reflected in it. And there may have been all sorts of grotesque funhouse type things Mm. reflected over the years. We've all Mm. had lives. Mm. And, you know, Sid would say, life is a contact sport. You're going to get your knocks. (laughs) But the mirror itself is unbroken. And sometimes people go, yeah, but mirrors are fragile. And then I go, okay, so it's a a still pond or lake. Yeah. The surface is reflective when it's still. Yeah. So I apologize. We'll talk about fear now. But I I, I did want to kind of close that loop. And thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. I, I get so ahead of myself and I'm so excited with all of the ideas, Michael. And and those three principles, I still haven't got the depth of understanding clearly that I need um, to, to live with them, uh, practice them uh, to the depth, you know, I don't know how many years now did you say you started since that work the first time? Well, so that would have been about 2007. Okay. Um, so, so you're actually not relatively speaking all uh, all that long, but but yeah. but I think there's also a slight misnomer in the idea that you haven't practiced them enough. <laughs> Go on, tell me. You have been being lived by them since birth. Okay. You may not notice them very often. Okay. But they they are no more or less active in you now than they were at the moment you were born, and no matter how much work you put in, they will be no more or less active at the end of your life than they are now. They are simply how it already works. And if we understand how it works, if we're conscious of how it works, if we notice its workings, we can work with it more elegantly. That's what that sense of grace, that sense of ease is we're working with the design instead of sometimes with the design, sometimes against the design. And we think the design is what's changing. Mm-hmm. The design is never changing, mm-hmm. but our noticing of it and working in harmony with it does. Which I think from memory, Michael, am I right, comes through stillness in terms of remembering and, you know, going back to that idea of doing less. Is that? 
true? Yes, but it's worth understanding why. Because if this is what already is, I love there's a line of Ramana Maharshi, which he he would talk very often about um, what is always already true, Mm -hmm. always already here, Mm -hmm. always already present. Mm -hmm. Then we've got to just be still enough to notice what's already here. If if, If you paused right now and looked around your room or your car or wherever you're listening to this, Mm-hmm. Inevitably, you would see things you haven't seen before. They've always been there. Mm-hmm. Were there before you looked. Yeah. But you haven't noticed them. Yeah. And you just need to be that little bit. It's not like some profound state of divine stillness. <laughs> it's just a little stiller, a okay. little quiet. Okay. That sounds good. And then you just you notice what already, always, already is. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that, Michael. So, yes, back to my other favorite topic of yours, which is the opportunity and possibility. Now, I I should explain as well, Michael, that, you know, as a brand, as an idea, as an intention for this show, uh, we're calling it Powering Possibility. Because to me, that is the epitome of the challenge I always experience between if I'm being positive, that's great when things are good. If things aren't good, then I'm being negative. And I really always struggled with that polarity. So the idea for me of this show and working with Bernie, my business partner, we just love this sense of possibility. And what I see with your work is the possibility of living a fearless life, which actually you know, as I sit here today, seems really unlikely. (laughs) I don't want to say the opposite, (laughs) but it's beautiful how you describe that that is very real, very true. And again, it's what I see how you seem to live your life. So will you talk about that? And sorry, the piece I wanted to drop in just for your knowledge background is Bernie and I do a book club every month. And the very first book we did was Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, <laughs> which I know you refer to as, again, your former way of being. So, No, absolutely. I would have been Team Paula. Okay. Right? <laughs> like, like for most of my life, I would have gone, yeah, whatever, dude. Yeah. It's like, you're going to be scared, but you can deal with it. Sure. Right? You're going to be depressed, but you can deal with it. Sure. You're going to be anxious, but you can deal with it. Sure. I guess didn't understand how thought actually works. Mm. And when you understand how thought actually works, you realize that 99.9% of what we call fear is just a, it's thought. It's we've thought something scary and our biology reacts to it. Mm -hmm. So we've imagined a monster under the bed Mm. and we can't sleep, right? And when we're a kid, that's cute. Yeah. But when we're grown-ups, we don't realize we're still imagining monsters under the bed. <laughs> it's they're still made up and they're still made of thought. Now, if you had a nice parent, they didn't mm-hmm. come into your bedroom and go, Oh, for God's sake, kid, grow up. <laughs> sure. Right? They, yeah. they came and oh, let me check for the monster. Oh, actually, it's not a monster, he's quite a nice puppy. Right. Like, and y- 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 yeah. you know, and you would have known it wasn't real, but you wouldn't have been mean about it. Yeah. Well, it's the same with us. If we start to glimpse that our fears are made of thought, 
not reality. We don't have to give ourselves crap about that. We don't have to suddenly never do that again. And I'm always good. We can just be a little bit more patient with ourselves and a little bit kinder to ourselves. Mm. And then when we see it for what it is, it stops instantly. Now, I was, I say this as somebody who would have put myself forward as one of the most frightened rabbits in the world. Now, I happen to be what in the Enneagram they call a counterphobic six, which means that I was always afraid, but my reaction to fear was to feel the fear and do it anyways. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so people sometimes go, you, but you did this and you did this and you were an actor and you were that, you were this. Mm. And it's like, yeah. yeah. And I was vomiting in the wings before I'd go out on stage every night. Wow. Right. I just, that, that was the fruit of feel the fear and do it anyways. Mm. And again, probably may, meant I had a more interesting life than if I felt the fear and shrunk into a corner under my desk <laughs> which I did at yes. times as well. But it never occurred to me that fearless was a real possibility until I saw fear for what it is. Now, I want to really make a distinction. I said 99.9%. Okay. The 0.01% is not what I would call fear, though that would be a legitimate label for it. It's awareness of danger. Okay. Yes. So we have a biological protection mechanism, which is awareness of danger. Mm. That actually doesn't feel horrible and shrivelly. That feels quite powerful. Yeah. We are hyper alert. We are stronger than at any other time. We are sharper. Our focus narrows in a helpful way. So awareness of danger, you're not giving that up when you're fearless. You're just giving up the 99.9% that could more aptly be called worry. Mm of as fear because of the adrenaline surge that it comes with. Mm -hmm. So you are not less safe. People go, I need my fear to stay safe. No, you really don't. Your fear stops you from distinguishing. Your fear is like the boy who cried wolf. If you remember that. Yes, of course. It goes off so often that at some point you stop listening to it. And then you might not notice when there's real danger. Yeah. But if you're not distracted in the same way from all the scary thinking that we habitually have evolved and developed when there is a clear and present danger actually you're completely alert to it and in the times when we are in the worry and the anxiety michael like what then because again we've been conditioned for you know all of our lives i think it is the way of being for most of us you know um what can we do in the moment you know, if we're not, you know, blessed well, with being moment, a- I, I think it's really nice to know that you can feel a feeling and it will change. So here's a little experiment that people can try at home. I mean, maybe not if you're driving heavy machinery or something, but <laughs> okay. generally, probably you can try this at home. Go on. And it's to, to, to scare yourself a little right now. And, and however you do that. Like, mm-hmm. but just kind of, you probably will be thinking of something scary. Okay. And when you start to feel that feeling in you, just point to wherever in your body you feel it. I, like I'm feeling mine right now in my stomach. Mm-hmm. And then just stay with the feeling. Forget whatever you did to scare yourself. Okay. Stay with the feeling and notice what happens over the next 30 seconds. 
Now, mine is kind of traveling, like it's moving up through my chest into my throat. And now it's spreading around the back of my neck, down my shoulders. Now, now mine is gone. It, it may be different for you, mm. but if you just stay with the sensation, let go of the thinking, stay mm. with the feeling, it dissipates. I had a mentor, Gay Hendricks, who used to call it the 10-second miracle. He said, you cannot stay with a feeling for more than 10 seconds before it starts to change. Mm. But what we do is we spin up the mind even faster. You're right. We go, oh my God, what's this about? What do I need to do? And what do <laughs> yeah. I do? Da, yeah. da, da, da. And then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. Magnify the whole thing totally out of bloody proportion. <laughs> yeah. Right. In fact, when my wife read in The Inside Out Revolution, which was my first book about this, yes. Uh, you know, and I don't let her read my stuff until it's published because I care <laughs> way too much about her opinion. Oh my goodness. I don't want to be unduly influenced. <laughs> but but she, she said, I really liked that. She said, but it's kind of simple, isn't it? And I laughed because it is in some ways. So I managed yeah. to write a few hundred pages about it. But, but I said, well, what do, you, what, do you, what do you think I was saying? And she said, well, you're basically telling people that they don't have to make mountains out of molehills. Mm. Now, I, while on the one hand, I do think there is a bit more to it than that, that's not a bad summary. Yeah. We spend our lives creating drama. Yeah. And sometimes we create, like the old ad says, a drama out of a crisis. And mm -hmm. sometimes we create a drama out of nothing. Yeah. But we suffer for it. And it's we innocent and it's inadvertent and it's habitual. Yeah. But we're not stuck with it. It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. And I really liked as well, Michael, when you talked about sometimes it's just being self-conscious, you know, and, and to get, you know, to change the perspective away from it being all about me and how I'm feeling and where, you know, all of that to actually being present and focusing, I guess, on what is and yeah, what the opportunity is in that moment. Yeah. So, so self-consciousness is, is, is unfortunately the unintended consequence of too much self-help. Mm, wow. Right? We become, we shine the spotlight in our own eyes and wonder why we can't see straight and don't know where to go. Mm. Now, that's not to say a little bit of reflection isn't helpful, mm -hmm. but, but we don't stop there. We go, ooh, what's really wrong with me? Right? <laughs> and, and, it's like, and it's like, let's crank the light up more so we can see even less. Yeah, there must right? be more wrong with me. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you make the shift from, <laughs> from self-consciousness to, and we can talk about it in different ways, we could say capital S self-consciousness, mm -hmm. consciousness of the presence that we are. Yeah. Now consciousness, what Eckhart Tolle would talk about, present mm -hmm. to the present. Yeah. We could call it isness consciousness, present to what actually is happening now. Mm -hmm. What is versus what isn't. Mm. Any of those shifts, this larger intelligence will take care of us. It will guide us. It will flood us with insight. Yeah. So it's not like you have to not learn about yourself. It's just the way we do it is so intense. We don't. Yeah. 
one of my favorite quotes comes from Mark Twain. And, and he said, if, if people learn to walk and talk the way we teach them to read and write, mm. everyone would limp and stutter. <laughs> right? And so we work on ourselves with that same discipline and diligence. And that's not how it works. And again, that's why do less. Not because doing less is good and doing more is bad. Mm. But because it's all that doing that's stopping us from noticing what always already is. So it's about trusting the underlying intelligence, really, I guess. Yeah, it, it, it is. But I, I like the phrase educated faith. OK. So there is trust or educated trust, if you prefer. Faith okay. has connotations for you. Yeah. It, it, it's, you know, trust, but verify. OK. You know, yeah. Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition, trust in <laughs> Allah and tie up your camel, right? There's expressions in every culture for it. Okay. Yeah. So it's not blind faith, though, if you're capable of that, cool. Yeah. It's just enough faith to see for yourself. Mm. Trust enough. Trust the airplane enough that even though it makes no sense to you that this thing can fly because you don't understand the principles underneath it yet. Mm. Yeah. You'll find out, oh, it does stay in the air. Weird. Yeah. And over time, you start to have enough examples that you just relax into it and go, actually, I think it really does work like this. Yeah. And you used, I will say, a brilliant analogy or metaphor. Now, forgive me, I don't know the correct term for it, Michael. But the very first time I heard you speaking, it was the Hay House live event. And you were comparing, I suppose, the the human mind and the brain, I would say, as almost being like a computer, which Mm. is purely a hard drive, you know, the very old style before the internet was invented. And then the whole concept of the divine mind, you likened to plugging that internet cable into the computer and all of a sudden, my goodness, what's available and I think that's what. By I the just... way, kids, we used to use wires to connect to the internet. <laughs> Nowadays, they don't even need them. <laughs> totally, but the again, the simplicity of that, Michael. I thought it was genius. Going, oh my God, I can connect into the divine, you know, consciousness, internet, whatever we're going to call it. But again, I just loved the simplicity of the idea that there is something greater than me and my little mind trying to figure out my own answers. And imagine trying to explain to someone the internet 50 years ago. Mm. Well, see, there's this World Wide Web. Well, <laughs> where is it? Well, you can't see it. Yeah. Okay. So it's invisible, right? Well, where is it? Well, it's <laughs> kind of nowhere and everywhere. Okay. So it's like witchcraft? Like, you, you know, it, it, yeah. it's the same. Yes. It's that wonderful Arthur C. Clarke line that any technology that is sufficiently advanced has the appearance of magic. Yeah. Well, global tech, you know, the universal mind looks magic. And that's why people get caught up in the magical thinking. Mm. But to my mind, it's not magic. There are underlying principles. Mm. But it is quite magical. Like it's really cool the way that it works. (laughs) It totally is. It totally is, Michael. So listen, I only have one final question and we are in the week that the Oscars have had. I think it's most dramatic. I don't know how to really describe. Well, I don't know. I was thinking about that. And I actually think the year they announced the wrong winner 
<laughs> and then had to come out after the show and say, oh, actually a different movie one. Oh, it wasn't God. That's it true. Just, oh my. You know, but this was good too. <laughs> this was good too. And you sent a beautiful email on it this morning, Michael, obviously I get all your newsletters and stuff. So hopefully everyone listening will be signing up for those as well for you. But I'd love just, you know, as a closing uh, point, really just your sense on what happened with Will Smith, your view on it. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how to no, ask that I'm, question, but no, just I'm, I'm happy to because I do. I, I the reason I wrote about it, and I actually just recorded a podcast on it that'll come out soon, um, called "The Outside In Misunderstanding," because I think my take on it's quite different than most people's take. Most people are either Team Will or or Team Chris, right? Totally, up yeah. Justifying either of them, but for me, it wasn't about that. It was about the misunderstanding that a. And this goes back to where we started today. Yeah. A, my feelings can be caused by something outside me. Mm-hmm. So Chris Rock made Jada Pinkett Smith feel bad. Mm. And then trying to solve the feeling by changing the world. So Chris Rock made Jada Pinkett Smith feel bad. Jada Pinkett Smith made Will Smith feel bad. Will mm-hmm. Smith took, hit Chris Rock to to fix Jada Pinkett Smith's feelings and his feelings. (laughs) Well, that is the way of the world. But if you understand how the world actually works, it is insane. It is. Yeah. It's just a misunderstanding. Yeah. Jada Pinkett Smith thought something that made her feel really bad. Mm -hmm. Will Smith saw her face and thought something that made him feel insecure and bad. Mm -hmm. He reacted to his insecure thinking. I'd have no idea what went through Chris Rock's mind. Yeah. Right. And, and now everybody's thinking about it and driving themselves nuts going, how can you think this? And how can you think that? And it's just the same. This event triggered me. This event did this to me. This reminded me of when I was abused. And I'm not making light of yeah. abuse. Yeah. I am simply saying it's missing the point. We are living in the feeling of our own thought-created reality. Mm. We are not living in the feeling of other people or our circumstances. And when you see that, you have a completely different experience of life. There were so many different ways that could have been handled, Michael. So yes, it's uh, it's sad how it transpired, but thank you for your perspective on it because I do believe, as you said, everyone's taking sides and you wrote it so beautifully, you know, that love has its own way of, um, you know, just making us all feel whole if we allow it to and connecting to that. So definitely meant a lot to me this morning when I read your newsletter. So thank you. Um, that's all of my questions, Michael. Um, I definitely want to make sure people know where to find you. So yeah. how do you want to um, explain that? I know your podcast, well, I, for example, I, I, is amazing. Yeah, I think the, the, the three ways that I've found people really can find out more easily. So obviously, yeah. if you're a reader, there's going to be a fourth any of the books, Inside Out Revolution, The Space Within, Creating yes. the Impossible Super Coach, all come at this from just the same thing from different angles. Mm-hmm. Online, uh, the Caffeine for the Soul podcast is, uh, we, we, we're we one of the top 100 podcasts in a lot of countries, not America, but, yeah. but a lot of other countries. Yes. Um, and they're, they're short, like each episode is 10 minutes or less. Yes. So, very easy to listen to. And a lot of people really like that. Yeah. My TEDx talk, Why Aren't We Awesomer? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. You know, that, that is a really friendly 12 yes. minute introduction 
uh, mm-hmm. to my work. And then we've just created um, a new free introductory course called the basic course. Yes. So if you go to philneal.org forward slash basic course, mm-hmm. you can sign up and it's free and it takes less than two hours to do the whole program. Yeah. But it's got video and audio and a bit of writing. And it's just another way. We just keep trying to find new ways to give people a, mm. a chance to experience for themselves what I experienced through my encounter with a video while drinking beer. Absolutely, Michael. Well, listen, we'll make sure to link to all of that, of course, in the show notes um, and particularly your website, michaelneal.org, I think is the definitive source, as you said, for absolutely everything. So with all of that said, Michael, it's been an extraordinary conversation. You've had a dramatic impact on my life and certainly very happy to stay connected. I want to thank you for everything you've done for me and uh, look forward to working with you again in the future. So Michael Neal, thank you so much from Ye Can Do. Oh, thank you. Lovely to see you.